Welcome to season two of Bear It All, where we share the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between about biliary atresia. Welcome to the Bear Story Series. In honor of Donate Life Month, Bear will be featuring a month-long story series taking you through several biliary atresia families' journey. Join us every Tuesday and Friday as we share a sampling of just some of the stories. We want these stories to inspire you and fill you with hope. If your child is facing a life-saving liver transplant, please reach out to the Children's Organ Transplant Association, or CODA. The CODA crew are looking forward to learning more about your family's biliary atresia journey. CODA works with families to lessen the financial burden of a life-saving transplant, and support is provided at absolutely no cost. Please call CODA today at 1-800-366-2682 or go to coda.org forward slash get started to learn more about how they can help. This is part of our story series for Donate Life Month, where we speak with Brittany, Briggs's mom, about Briggs's not one, not two, but three liver transplants when he was less than a year old. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our episode. Hi, Brittany. Thanks for joining us today. Just start from the beginning. All started when, when my older son was nine months old and we got a pregnancy test that was positive. And then from then on out, I feel like it's been a roller coaster after another, one after another. Um, Wait, is that so, considered? No, that's not Irish twins. That's if you have yes, yes, within, yeah. within 12 months. Okay. Yeah. So not quite, but close enough to make me very stressed out. So it was, it was a great pregnancy though. With really no complications. I um, had contractions and one of my, my water broke. So I went in and actually I ended up finding out that I had three water sacks, believe it or not. So um, they actually sent me home because they checked and they were like, oh, you still have your water sack. Your water didn't break. Well, then fast forward to the next day, my doctor called me back in and she was like, yeah, you have actually two more sacks. So we do think one broke and you're in labor. So did they, like, did they find that in an ultrasound or... No. No. And he was measuring to be like eight and a half pounds and he was only five pounds when he was born. So I think I just had a ton of fluid via the sacks, the multiple sacks. It ended up just messing up everything. So, <laughs> But he arrived uh, very quickly after they sent me over to the hospital. And um, from there, I remember holding out my pinky because I had just done this, you know, 18 months before and he didn't grasp my hand like Brady had done my older son and I remember looking up and saying something is wrong something's very wrong and nobody would listen to me I mean I'm looking back on it now I feel like I was in a tunnel and I just felt like I was screaming and nobody was listening and everybody just kept telling me it's gonna be fine it's fine. he's healthy he's here we're good and then the nurse noticed that he was breathing fast so they ended up taking him to the NICU so uh, he went in for that and then they thought that he had pneumonia he didn't end up having pneumonia. So it was this constant, you know, like he has this, he doesn't, he has this, he doesn't, everything's fine. It's not fine. Everything's fine again. Um, and so we ended up being in the NICU for about two weeks and everything that would start off being a problem worked itself out. But upon that last day of discharge, they told us this uh, level of bilirubin is elevated. So you should probably follow up with that. And I remember telling my husband, Brian, at the time, like I Googled and I shouldn't have, but you know, I remember thinking, I think this is pretty serious. And I don't know that it's, you know, what this light fixing thing, you know, 
know, because that's what we thought too at first. Like, just put him under the light and he'll be fine. Um, and so we ended up, you know, going to see the doctor the very next day. I texted our pediatrician and she was like, I'm happy to bring you in. You know, like, let's let's figure this out. Um, and so she sent me to a specialist that day and he told me that day, I'm pretty sure your son has something called biliary atresia and he's going to need a transplant and get ready. <laughs> so, so that was, so Briggs was only like a little over two weeks old at that yeah. point. Mm-hmm. January okay. 19th, January 19th. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. I mean, but that sounds proactive Pretty, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, from your pediatrician and then mm-hmm. to immediately do that. I mean, I think that that's from all of the stories that I've heard, you know, within the community, I feel like that's a pretty quick kind of catch, yeah. if you will. Oh, yeah. We were very lucky and I still think our pediatrician so much to this day, because not only did she listen to my concerns, but she, she'll say, if it doesn't fit into my tiny box, then I'm going to send it out for a further review. So this didn't fit in her tiny box of just normal baby things. And so she sent us out and our did doctor- she ever Had she ever um, BA before? Had she had ever like diagnosed it or known anyone? Nope. 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 But that's so, so amazing that she like knew to think about that though. She had come to visit me in the hospital too. Like when he was in the NICU and I had told her, I was like, I just feel in my gut, something is wrong. So I think she took that consideration too. And I mean, she had been our pediatrician with our older son too. So it's not like it was a new relationship and not that that matters, but it should be, you know, listened to anyways. I I think think it means that there was an established relationship, which is good. And so she was, she was instrumental in that. And our doctor who diagnosed our GI doctor was at least knowledgeable of it. And he was actually, there was an intern, I think, in the room at the time. And he was like, you're going to read about it in a paragraph in the textbook, but you actually get to see this. And that's very rare. So I was like, okay, like, oh, what's going on? Um, so yeah, so he had his Kasai a couple days later, you know, after that. And so we thought we were in the 30-day window of, you know, diagnosis, Kasai procedure. We're like, we are rocking and rolling and he's going to live and never <laughs> need a liver transplant. And boy, were we wrong. So we ended up a week after his Kasai, he had cholangitis. Um, and so we went into the hospital for that. And then I feel like we just stayed at the hospital after that. So he went actually down to New Orleans for a revision, possible high revision. They ended up not doing that because he started producing bile in his stools at that point. But it was so close to when we had had the Kasai that they were contemplating redoing it, but he did not end up getting that done. Um, and then at that point, we got told for the first time, I think, you know, there's a possibility with with the cholangitis happening this soon after afterwards and just how tiny he was and all the complications, it's a good chance that it's going to fail sooner rather than later. So we kind of started having those transplant and waiting list and what what is it called whenever we get evaluated, evaluations, um, those kind of conversations started happening when we were in the hospital at that time. So I would say those were happening in February, a month after. So it sounds like, it sounds like you didn't even really, I think, get a chance to quote unquote, like give the Kasai a chance. And like, how did, I guess, how did that make you feel? And I asked that because I think a lot of weight and a lot of hope is put into a Kasai. And I, I think that people don't start having those conversations that it could potentially fail. This is the next step until mm-hmm. post Kasai. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that your approach is a little different. So how, I mean, yeah, it was, how a, was that? It was a roller coaster because at that point in time, I felt like our faith was pretty strong too. And so we had thought, you know, God has blessed us with these doctors, this amazing, you know, team that has 
caught this and we are favored, you know, and then I feel like this whole journey has just been one lifelong lesson of like what you think is going to happen. We're ultimately in control of nothing. So to lose hope that fast, I will say is pretty defeating um, at that point. And it's pretty scary because, I mean, you have to remember too, I was two months postpartum, maybe even just a month at that point with a one-year-old at the house as well. And I think probably went a little crazy if I have to say, looking back on it. I think though that also looking back on it, I feel blessed that I did not have to wait very long either. I don't know personally that I could have been the best mom that I could be waiting for the other shoe to drop constantly. I think that would have been more on my anxiety and my soul and just not be, I would not have been a good mom if I would have been constantly worried about that in the back of my mind. So we kind of quickly flipped the script to say, this is a blessing, even though, you know, it's not what we wanted or it's what we thought was going to happen, this is still a blessing at the end of the day. That's uh, one of the things actually that I ask people is like, are they okay with, you know, did they feel like they're waiting for the other shoe to drop? And and like during when we talk about Kasai with people. So it's so interesting to hear you. Like I didn't even need to ask. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's, yeah. that's good to know. Yeah. Um, so where, so is Brian at home with, um, with Brady? No. So he actually um, was staying with my, my parents sometimes, my dad more than my mom, because I feel like my mom was always with us. And then um, I have a, a really amazing support system with a group of girls. There's four of us and we've been friends since we were in kindergarten pretty much. And so she took Brady a lot because she also has a daughter his age. So it just worked out. But I, you know, she was a blessing too, because I'm like, you were his mom when I couldn't be his mom. And that to me is something that if you don't have or you you can't experience because you don't have that support, then, you know, I, I just still don't even know how I can ever repay her for that time. So I agree. I mean, I think talking about people's support systems can be an entire episode mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> on its own, you know, stressing the importance of it. Back to the, you know, Briggs's timeline. So <laughs> you had the Kasai, pretty much knew right away that it wasn't working and you guys were inpatient. When at that point, had you guys transferred? yet mm-hmm. okay it transferred us immediately pretty much just because they knew eventually that's where we'd end. um but then we had to go through the whole approval process so that took about two months i would say because he had to be sick enough you know like he wasn't sick enough to like fully say that the kasai had failed but they had to get a few lab pokes in they had to you know see the trend of where it was going and then ultimately like start the real approval process i want to say that happened probably around april time because there was also like ups and downs like sometimes those labs would be you know, rocking and rolling. And sometimes it would just be off the chart. So we kind of went through that for a couple months there. We got the call May 28th of 2015 that he was officially placed on the transplant waiting list. We were at the beach. I remember that. And I was like, okay, this is really our life right now. You know, I'm looking into paradise and I'm getting what I think of as kind of devastating news, but happy news. So it's like, how do you even process all this? Um, And then, I mean, where we live in our, our zone or whatever you want to call it, and it's changed since we've had our transplant. We are we were very lucky to be in a very quick uh, waiting time period zone. So we had heard that, you know, the average wait time is this much if your paled score is this high or this low and whatnot. And he was on the waiting list for a little less than a month, I would say, because we got the call June 24th. In my mind, I think that was, you know, pretty quick compared to some other people. So um, we got call and we went down to New Orleans and, you know, checked in and did all the stuff and just thought again that we were, you know, receiving this crazy miracle blessing and that we had full faith in the doctors that everything was going to be great. And we trusted our team and we handed over our baby and um, 
that's when I'll say stuff hit the fan. <laughs> so he ended up getting that first transplant. You know, things were good, honestly, at first. We got to extubate him that night. We got to hold him. We got to rock him. We got to feed him. We got to, you know, talk to everyone. And we really felt like, you know, this was going to be the start of our new life. And we were so happy. And then the next day, I want to say, so that was probably the 25th. So the 26th, we got a call that there was some slow happenings in his liver or in his portal vein and that they mentioned thrombosis. And I'm like, what does that word even mean? You know, back to Google. And I'm like, Brian, I don't think this is good. <laughs> like, what do we do? So um, they ended up taking him for a surgery to clear the portal vein clot. And we had heard about this, you know, and I think at the time, I want to say somebody else re- had gone through a transplant in our community. And so I was kind of aware of it, that it was a possibility that this could happen. So it was kind of like, this is okay. We can handle this. He takes them back for the surgery. And, you know, one hour goes by, we get a couple updates, two hours go by, we get a couple updates, three hours, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 hours ultimately goes by. And at that point, I'm a complete basket case. Um, and the, the doctor comes out and I'll never forget this. He, you know, took off his scrub hat and held his hands or held his head in his hands and just shook his head. And he didn't know that we could see him at that time. And that to me, I just knew I was like, this is not it's not working. There's no reason that this should have taken 10 hours. Something is very wrong. And at that point is when they came up and said, you know, we can't reestablish blood flow. We just need to make him comfortable. And at that point is when I threw up on the doctor. So um, just straight up, just let it all out. Um, And he cried. He was crying. And to see a doctor cry, I don't think happens very often, at least in our lengthy experience. I don't think we saw it very often. And just to know that, you know, what was supposed to save his life, you know, possibly could be the thing that takes his life is sort of hard to, you know, process all in this time period that we were in. Um, And I remember asking a question to the doctor, you know, is it a mechanical issue or is it an electrical issue? Because one in my mind can be fixed and one can't be fixed. So even if we do another transplant, is this going to work? And he looked me in the eyes and said, I don't know. And to hear that was probably the hardest thing I think that I'll ever have to hear because you've placed all your trust in these doctors and it's not anything that he did. I mean, sometimes you can have the best of the best and things just don't go right. And it is what it is. Um, but we were told that he, they would make him comfortable and that, you know, he would be placed on the waiting list again, but there was no, you know, you, you don't know what can happen at that point. So we made him comfortable. And, um, when I kind of just internally reflected and just said, we need a miracle. Like we, there's no way we're getting out of this unless it's a true miracle at this point. So at that um, so we point, waited. at that point, was he back in his room? Were you guys in recovery? Um, yeah. So he was okay. he was paralyzed and sedated again, um, and not able to be extubated at that point because the goal was to keep him alive to be able to receive another transplant at that point. Um, and so we just, I mean, we were devastated to be honest. I mean, it's just we were how devastated. Can you, how can you not <laughs> yeah. be devastated at something like that? Like. Yeah. Just listening to it, I'm devastated. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm yeah. teary eyed. It, and it's, you, I know what has to happen in order for him to even have gotten the chance to get a miracle. And so, I mean, it was wrestling with those feelings too of like, you know, now I feel like we're facing with just horrible news all around. Like, what good is going to come from this? God, please help me wrap my brain around this. Um, and so I don't, there was just one at one point where I just said, 
we're just going to walk out of this hospital alive. I'm just going to, it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And people thought that I was crazy and I probably was, but I just was not accepting defeat at that point. And I don't think that I could because I was the closest thing to him. It was, he had just come out of my body, you know, six months before he could feel what I was feeling and I felt like he needed me to be strong in order to to get through this. So we got the call again on July 1st, 2015. Okay, and so how long had he been um, sedated? Two days, because that okay. was July 28th. So okay, it, so it he was obviously this. So he, he was, was top of the list. Like 1A. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Top of the list of the country, you know, like everything, any offer that was coming through was coming through us first at the end of the day. So we were, you know, we were like, oh my gosh, this happened. This is crazy. <laughs> so we get the call. We we go send him off for transplant. There's actually a mom in our community, Paige. She actually drove in town and showed up at the hospital for his second transplant. And so we just, she was like, we got to be bold as lions. We got to roar. We got to, we got to figure this out. So we handed him off again. We stayed up all night because um, it was in the middle of the night that the transplant happened. We get back to the room. And I remember, you know, I'm a CPA by day, so I'm number focused. And back then we didn't have my chart. So I'm charting away on my little lab. And I asked the attending doctor, I said, what are his, what are his liver numbers? What are they? And I'll never forget. She said 6,627. And I was like, do what? <laughs> like, what did you just say? Did, did you accidentally <laughs> add a couple of digits to that? <laughs> right. Like, how does that, how does that work? So I knew then that something was wrong, obviously. Um, And so they said, she told me the number and she said, but we've immediately placed him on the transplant waiting list again. And so I was just like, I mean, train wreck, I feel like at that point, like bus hit, boom, down. Um, Because again, we were faced with, you know, we had, we were so happy that this was happening. And then we were just completely let down again. And then, you know, you get the thoughts of, okay, this is number two. There's no way there can be a number three, like is this even possible? This time though, it was, um, he had what was called primary functioning non-graft, which means he just full body rejected the transplant. And so it wasn't like it was his body that was, you know, not able to, I don't know how to exactly being in full body rejection. It means that it could work. It just meant that his body wasn't accepting the liver at that time. So we, they said, you know, as long as he stays healthy enough, but sick enough, you know, he can get another transplant We're we're going to see if this one can stick, but if not, then and we're just going to put him on the list again. And so kind of, we knew then that it was kind of going to be a stepping stone. We were kind of prepared at that point that, you know, this could lead to another one. And our prayer then just became, you know, to, to be healthy enough to sustain another surgery because that's all that we could do. It was at that point when, sorry, he ended up having a, um, a seizure or a stroke activity um, that happened. They're not really sure which one came first or, you know, it was just a storm of activities and it caused severe brain damage at that point. So then we're faced with, is our son going to be a vegetable? Because again, he's still paralyzed and sedated. If he ever wakes up, is he going to wake up? You know, we were asked as parents, are you willing to take on a disabled kid? Are you willing to do the things that need to be done, um, to take care of a special needs kid? Um, do you want to do the things and I mean, I don't think anybody prepares that, prepares you for that as a mom to be asked those questions. But at the same time, the answer was immediately yes, because no matter what, I just knew that we were going to take him out of this hospital. I just, I kept thinking that and that kept 
resonating in my head. And can I ask, can I ask the question is going through that questionnaire, is that to, was that part of the transplant of like, not only because I don't have another word, was that part of the eligibility? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just because I know that, you know, we talk about support and everything right. like that being successful for a transplant. Right. It was part of that like approval thing that they had to go through again. Like they had to go back and tell the committee that they are willing to take care of a special needs kid, whether it be handicapped, delay, you know, like one spectrum or the other, like they're willing to to do this. And I can't say that I would fault anybody for saying no. I mean, I don't. Being a special needs mom is hard and it is a lot of work. And if you don't have the support, education and knowledge, I cannot imagine doing that on your own. And I don't know that I would fault somebody for saying no. I mean, there comes a balance of what do you do to save your son's life versus, you know, just letting them go at that point. How much pain do they have to go through at that point? Um, But I think to your point, like you knew what was right for you. And like to your point is you said you immediately knew and said yes. Like that, that was perfect for you. That was, you just knew. That's just what we did. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, no matter what, we got this. (laughs) But I think more crazy stuff happened. I mean, his whole right side of his body turned black because of a archaeal line that went bad. Uh, He was having GI bleeds. He was having continuous blood transfusions. He had compartment syndrome where he swelled up with fluid and started shutting down his organs. He had to have an emergency surgery to cut his stomach back open and leave it draining. He was draining like a thousand liters of whatever a day or whatever, you know, those big things that they have in the next to the beds draining things. He was filling those up quite regularly. So I don't know the correct measurement, but um, crazy stuff. And again, he was paralyzed and sedated too. So, I mean, it's not like we were seeing him. We weren't interacting with him. We were touching, you know, his arm. And I remember asking my husband at some point, like, is he alive? You know, is this even, what are we doing? You know, like what, what, when do we say enough is enough? All the pokes, all the, the things. And it was crazy. I'll just say that. But it ended up, we got the call 17 days later on July 17th. And we handed him over again, I think with exhaustion at that point, to be honest, you know, I mean, there, I don't think I cried even at that last transplant. I was just like, whatever happens, happens. And I think we were just so numb at that point that we were still, we didn't know how to act. And we had found out some information about the donor himself. And so it was just hard to wrestle at that time and and to, to think of a six-month-old baby, you know, passing away and and at what means did it happen and it was it was a lot but i i fully believe that his angel donor was you know sent here to save briggs at the end of the day and that his body just accepted that liver automatically and very quickly and since then he has been just rocking and rolling in terms of liver land so <laughs> Um, he is, it's almost like his doctors even say it's almost like his body has fully accepted that as his native liver. It's like, it's tricked it. So it's crazy. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> is that <laughs> all? Well, there is one more surgery now. <laughs> there really is. Um, he ended up, after all that, you know, we extubate him and we, we get to, we get to take him home and it was the greatest thing ever. Uh, but the night that we got home in October, he actually started projectile vomiting. So we had to go back to the hospital <laughs> 
And then he had to have a surgery for intestinal blockage. <laughs> so we were like, anything else? Are we done? <laughs> so he was basically in the hospital from January until October. Pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So throughout all of that, I mean, were you and Brian con- continuing to work? Was, yeah. you know, Brady in yeah. daycare? Like what? Uh, Brady Let's talk about like daycare. that dynamic. Yeah. Let's see. I My work, I had gone back to work remotely, I think in April. Uh, and my job was very good about like just piddle on the computer for a couple hours and like call it a day. And then Brian had gone back full time. So he was driving back and forth from New Orleans to uh, Baton Rouge to work. And then once things were like really bad in the hospital, he did take off them, but he was like working from the hospital room too. And then Brady was with either my family or friends or something. And just kind of my friend that kept him, her daughter was in the same daycare class as him. So it was kind of like, just leave his routine the same. And, you know, maybe he won't notice the fact that we're not there at that point and kind of you just guys, keep look him. It. You guys <laughs> were work from home before it was cool. It was. Yeah, it was great. You're, you're trendsetters. trendsetters. In the worst reason possible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, it was it was rough. But we had, I mean, we were very lucky in that sense because I've heard, you know, just horror stories of people having to quit their job or something. And it turned out that people, my job opened up like the PTO bank. And so within an hour, they said it filled up and I had people donating their PTO to me. And, you know, I got to just kind of not have to worry about working, but could take off and and they were there. So it, it confirmed your faith in humanity. Yes, just a little. <laughs> but they were saying, people in my office were like, it filled up and we couldn't even donate. Like people that I didn't even know ended up donating. So it was like, they were like, it filled up so fast that we didn't even get a chance to donate it. So, I mean, that was pretty cool to me. I just think that that, that they don't open it up. I've only seen it open up like twice and I've been there for 14 years. So, I mean, the fact that they fill it up for a random person is pretty cool. That really is incredible. So like hats off to your <laughs> colleagues and your employer and everything. So how how far out is Briggs post-transplant now? So it'll be eight years this summer. Okay. So eight years. Talk to what has post-transplant life looked like? Because yeah. I know that, you know, you guys were kind of coasting for a while, right? And then mm-hmm. some other stuff came up. Yeah. So, um, as far as liver lane goes, I'll, I will say that I think we are still in pretty good standing. I feel like he has been completely healed from all of the liver things and we are on a very low dose of tacro. So I just feel like we are still good in that department because of the seizure and stroke. He does have the brain damage. And so he does have a global delay. And so it's been a lot of therapy. Um, I think he's been in therapy every single day, pretty much his entire life since we've gotten home and that's speech OT and PT. And then in 2021, he started having seizures again. He had that one and then we didn't have any you know, since then. And then he started having them pretty often and regularly in 2021. And for about 10 months there, we went through multiple seizures multiple times a day. So that was a little rock in the boat, I'll say, (laughs) of just, I don't think anybody can prepare you to watch your son have a seizure by any means. And I don't know what's worse. I don't know if it's worth seeing him, you know, in a hospital setting and and, you know, seeing that or seeing your son have a seizure, but luckily and thankfully and, and prayerfully, we have answered prayers. He, the medicine is controlling the seizures now. So we are, you know, kind of back to 
I would say our baseline anxiety level, even though it's probably a bit higher than most at the end of the day. I mean, but at the end of the day, I just don't think, I don't think it's realistic for anyone who has gone through a traumatic event um, with their kids, with, with it really, I mean, let's generally speak, anyone who's gone through a traumatic event, just, I, I want to just be like, you have a new normal. Like this right. is not, yeah. you're going it's to have a baseline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that, that anxiety in some way, per, some way, shape or form is going to exist. Be there. Yeah. And the, the sooner you accept it, <laughs> the easier it's going to be to manage. The sooner you get you a therapist, the better it's going to be. I promise. Yes. <laughs> Don't avoid and it's it. Not, and it's not a bad thing <laughs> to do that because it took me three years post transplant to finally like give in to that, if you yes. will. So it took me, I think I didn't start therapy until 2021. So it took me six years to finally be like, okay, this is not working. (laughs) I'm sure Um, the therapist was very similar to me where you list off everything (laughs) that's happened and they're like, oh, is that it? That's it? That's all you got? Like what is, she's like, so we're at fight or flight every day. And I was like, yeah, pretty much. Oh, and you only, we can laugh about that. I know, right? I'm just like, yeah, it's great. I love my life. (laughs) Okay. So his, so Briggs, his seizures right now are manageable. And thank goodness that the medicine is working and everything, but liver wise has been great. How, how is it with Briggs and Brady? And I mean, I have, I have a lot of questions, right? So first, (laughs) like as, as a mom and you obviously had this experience with Brady and going through what people perceive as, you know, a typical, you know, pregnancy, birth, raising, and then obviously everything going on with Briggs like do you think that I guess my question is how was it um comparing those two and I always say and I and I know that everyone's like comparison is the thief of joy and all of that (laughs) but I also think that it's we're we're human right at some point like you had to have thought about that and talked about the two comparisons of those yeah and I've, I've actually talked a good bit recently with siblings of people who had special needs brothers and sisters and I mean, my biggest fear, I would say, is that I'm robbing Brady of something or he's going to be, you know, hold something against us for putting so much attention on Briggs or, you know, having to put so much attention on Briggs, not the fact that I want to. Um, But I think we've had a lot of talks, real talks at a very young age about things that I don't think I would have ever thought to talk with him about. You know, we've talked about death in detail. He has questions and I'm not going to hide it from him. It's a realistic possibility in our house that anybody could pass away at any point. He's mentioned fears of, you know, what happens if you and dad pass away and then who's going to take care of his brother? Things that an eight-year-old probably isn't worried about and shouldn't be worried about, but that's not our reality. And I think that the two, I I still think though, that even though those parts of it stink and probably are like the worst part of this whole situation, I think though, that he has such a different outlook on life because of Briggs. And I think that he is more aware and I'm hoping nicer, you know, I know kids can be mean and whatnot, but I just think he's more accepting that, you know, this is my brother and this is how he is. And if you don't have a problem or if you have a problem with it, then you're just not welcome here. Sorry. Like, you're not going to mess with my brother. You're not going to mess with me. Get it, go away. <laughs> but I think. And is your mama heart like <laughs> so proud of him? Oh, yes. <laughs> like, yeah, say that. <laughs> I'm like, but actually don't hurt anybody because that's against the law. So. 
but I do think that he, some parts of it stink and some parts of it are just, you know, it's a different reason to be happy about it. And so I think he gets to, and we do too, we get to celebrate those little things that people just tend to forget about, but they're big things for us. So he gets to take part in that. And I think that's the, that's the coolest part of it. I love that. Do, I mean, I know that you said that Brady, you guys have had those conversations. Is Brady, does he understand the extent of everything that happened with Briggs? And does Briggs understand the extent of what's going on or, or even like the high level of, of things? I think he does. I think Brady does understand it. Um, and we've actually like have him like talking to a therapist too, just because I want him to have a safe space to be like, this sucks. And I hate when my mom has to go to appointments with just Briggs and it seems fun to him. You know, it, he's mature enough, but then he has those moments where he's still that nine-year-old who's like, wait, y'all are going off to Memphis by yourself. Why can't I go? So, you know, that's kind of where I just feel like if he has a safe space, then hopefully he can get all that out of his system. We did get to bring him to Memphis with us this last time. And he was like, this is all y'all do. And we were like, yeah, so it's not fun. (laughs) But I think that's, you know, it's good for him to see that and see that it's, it's nothing really fun. And I mean, we're just driving and we're going and sitting in a room and then we're leaving. So yeah, so you've had success really keeping him part of the process and keeping mm-hmm. him involved. And you, yeah, I mean, that that's good to know. I mean, I yeah. don't have that reference because mm-hmm. it's just Hudson. So I think that sharing that is really important. And I think that yeah. there are tons of people who do have siblings who look for other successes. Yeah. Well, and now too, you know, Briggs gets to say like, I'm not a crybaby. Like if, you know, if he needs to give labs or something or whatever, I'm like, if Briggs can do it, you can do it. (laughs) And he's like, you know what? That's true. So I'm like, okay. And I mean, Briggs is a pro. He'll, he'll sit down and just, here's my arm, take it. (laughs) Which Um, is a, will he he teach Hudson that? It is, he's like, I'm not a baby. I'm not a baby. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, there were many years where you were a baby. So let's, uh, Let's remind you of that one. Yeah. Next time, just take a video and will you send it to me? And yeah, maybe that will yeah. be inspiration for Hudson. It was honestly, it was like overnight. Like I'm not like it was horrible. And then one time it was good. And then it's been good since then. And I don't know what changed. I don't know what happened. But now he literally just goes in there and sits down and holds out his arm. So you're saying there's hope. There is hope. There is hope. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you. <laughs> oh. Yep. Now, but does Briggs, uh, does Briggs understand what's going on? Okay. And I think, I think that's a blessing and a curse, you know, at the same time, because to not understand means that obviously that's the brain damage piece and that's, that's the crappy part of that. But the fact that he just gets to live his life in this happy bubble, I would, I would take that any day. (laughs) Agreed. I mean, I think that's the way that you have to approach it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and, he, and he doesn't want special like treatment. Happiest... I will say he does not want any special treatment. So you know, I think he does understand that piece of it, and he knows that he is a little different. I would say, like he can, it's not that he can say like, oh, these kids are being mean, or you know, like I feel weird because they're treating treating me weirdly. But he can tell when a kid is mean, and he will say he's not my friend, and I'm like, he is not your friend. You should stay away. <laughs> Again, your mama heart is like, yes. <laughs> no, no, like I don't know how, like. I'm I'm just now experiencing that with Hudson. And last year at the park, I remember one time, like these kids were like, he's weird. Like he doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, because he didn't understand. I just cried. I like came home and I was like, Martin. <laughs> and yep. I just cried. So that's what like, I can do. I mean, it's you're yeah. mourning the life that you thought 
your kid was going to have every single day. So it's tough. It's so what does right now, I guess, what's the, what is the present look like for you guys? Like, so Briggs and Brady are in school um, mm-hmm. together, right? They're, in, they're yep. not in the same grade, but they're at the same school. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's in a, um, he's in a special needs program or a, uh, inclusive program, I guess you can call it. So we're really lucky that they offer that at our school two blocks away from our house. And so it's the only one in the diocese, I think, too, that is, well, there, there's two that offer it, but ours is the one that's closest to us. So it works out, but it, it's, it's still a lot of therapy. It's still, you know, it, it's good and bad because I can see that, you know, he's not like a normal first grader, but at the same time, like I never thought that I would see the day where he could read a single word, much less, you know, multiple words at a time and he's doing it. So I've just, I feel like this year has been one constant reminder of whatever box I feel like I put him in as a mom. I just got to take away the box because he's obviously going to do whatever he wants to do. So it's a lot of uh, lessons on my part. I'll say that. But from his perspective, he's rocking and rolling. He's playing baseball. He's, you know, doing things every weekend and, you know, he's just having the time of his life. So. <laughs> Thank you. I, I needed to hear that because I find myself doing the same thing. So mm-hmm. thank you for being the voice of reason. Yes. Anytime you need. Because <laughs> I'm like, why am I mad that, you know, it's hard when it's staring in your face. Like we, we had the inclusive game the other day. It was his first game. And my therapist was actually there. We ran into each other. And so she's like, we're going to talk about this. Do I need a bill? And I was like, you can go ahead and invoice me, girl. Um, But she had said the next day, she was like, how was it? And I was like, honestly, it was a bit overwhelming because I think, you know, because we lead such a typical life for the most part that we do get to experience quote unquote regular kid activities. And then when we're faced in that kind of situation, to me, sometimes it feels like it's just a reminder in my face of like, this is what he's not doing. But then it's like, that's when I just have to get out of my own head and say, he has the chance to do this. He was told that he was never going to walk and talk or be a vegetable. So get over yourself and get out of your pity party because it's going to be okay. (laughs) You gave yourself a a mental (laughs) bitch slap. (laughs) Yes, essentially. Hey, we all need that. So it's it's the truth. It's the truth that like, yeah, this does kind of stink. The fact that I have to sit here and be in this environment. I didn't want to be in this environment. Nobody wants to be in this environment, but here we are all pretending like we're very happy. So, and, but at the end of the day, I mean, I really am to see the joy on his face, you know, when he hits the ball or when he's running or whatever and how much fun he has, it's like, you know what, get over yourself, girl. Like, that's that's not even worth it to worry about. So now, do you think um, when because like at this part of the episode towards the end, I always ask for um, if there's any advice that you want to give people either starting or going through. And I guess the question to you is like, do you constantly feel like you have to like throw out the disclaimer of like, but our situation was different or like our yes. situation <laughs> is unique because that really is. And I, I even struggle with that where, you know, you, you want to get your team to transplant. Right. And you're mm-hmm. like, and you see a, a kiddo who's just being listed and you're like, you just need to make it a transplant. It gets better. Like post-transplant mm-hmm. life is amazing. But I mean, I think in like your, your scenario is there Stop. are, yeah, well, <laughs> There are consequences, like there are risks. It's a hard surgery. Yeah, I mean, it's a hard transplant. Yeah, like there's no guarantees. I mean, anything can happen. And I do think, though, you know, you have your regular mom circle, and then you have this liver mom circle. I don't feel like I fit into either one of them because I'm 
outside of the liver moth circle because I don't know of another person that's gotten three transplants. So, you know, I get to see all these people who get this wonderful gift and they get to, you know, what seems like from their Facebook highlight reel that they get to go off and live in the sunset forever and ever. And I mean, that's hard to see sometimes. It's not that I'm not happy for them and that's not what I want for every single kid, but I'm just like, why couldn't that have been us? Like, why, why are we doing this? And so I think my advice would be to just try to just focus on your journey and really focus on the good things that come out of your personal journey, because your story isn't like anybody else's. And at the end of the day, whatever somebody is posting on their highlight reel is just that. And, you know, I don't think it's fair to ask people to not post their highlight stuff. I mean, that's, that's the, beauty of this whole situation. You get to see the good that comes from it. But I just think that knowing that there's still going to be hard times, but yet the beauty that comes after those hard times and the lessons that you learn are definitely worth it. You almost find yourself hesitant to give people advice or (laughs) to give people your opinion. I I mean, like they freak out. Like when they're like, Hey, we heard that your son had a transplant, like tell me your story. And I'm like, "Mm, I don't think you want to talk to me. (laughs) So. I'm like, but, and I have to say like, yeah, he receives a transplant and I I find not that I lie, but just that I, I, there's no way that I can give them the full story at that time. They only need to know what they need to know at that time. And not everything that happened with Briggs can or will happen to your kid. And even today, my cousin texted me, her cousin had a baby recently and she's like, the the Billy Rubin's elevated. And I'm like, 99 times out of 10, it's going to be fine. I promise. Like, no one that I know has had this problem. And, you know, I I hope that is what happens. I hope that it is fixable by light and I hope it's indirect, but I'm like, here are the things that you need to ask. Here are the things that you need to worry about. If it's this, come back to me. If it's not nine times out of 10, you'll be fine. So I think it's just, it's a weird place to be sometimes. It feels kind of lonely sometimes, but at the same time, I think we've just made our own path at this point. And you know, it, I, I think if anything, we're here to show that you can go through a lot and you can still have your happy ending at the end of the day. And that's perfect. I think that's the perfect way to end it. <laughs> Words by Brittany. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here all day. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for joining us. Join us next time as we bear it all.